Asia Tech Podcast. Podcast. Voice of the Asian Tech Ecosystem. Hello, welcome to Asia Tech Podcast. My name is Graham Brown. Today, I've got a treat for you listeners, joined by Jody Collins, who is the founder and managing director of ReDigital, which happens to be a digital strategy consultancy based out of Singapore. Jody's joining us because she is going to share a little bit about her backstory and what she's working on in Asia, some of the interesting founders that she talks to. But it, more importantly, on top of all of that, Jody's going to join our team of esteemed hosts here on Asia Tech Podcast to help get the word out there and share the story about Asia. Jody, welcome to the show. Thank you. Good morning. Good morning to you. So, well, we've had quite a lot of back chat to this particular podcast episode, right? We've talked a lot about what we're going to talk about because you originally approached me and said, uh, you know, you're interested in getting out there and sharing all these stories of these amazing people that you yes. meet in Asia. Yeah. So I said, yeah. well, why don't you come on board and join the team of ATP hosts? And, well, here we are. Great. Yeah. Thank you. Exactly. And I said, you know, you need to talk a little bit about yourself. Yep. You're in. No problem yep. about doing that. <laughs> yes, absolutely. Exactly. So, well, let's talk about what it is you do, Jody, on a, a day-to-day basis. Let's talk about re-digital first. And then there's a really interesting sort of arc about how you got there, but we'll let listeners work that out as we get to that point. Redigital first, what is it that you do? Okay, so Redigital is a digital strategy consulting company based in Singapore, but working across Asia. And we work with a range of companies to help them develop their digital marketing or digital business strategies. So we help them develop how they're going to actually connect with their consumers in a world that's becoming far more digital. Right. And that is across Asia? Or that's just across Asia. Yeah, that's right. right. Yeah. And then the other part of what we do, so we, we help companies develop their strategy. We also teach them how to do all aspects of digital. So we have a, a training development part of business, which is focused on teaching teams the digital skills that they need to be able to work effectively in a digital world as well. And that's everything from digital marketing, whether it's programmatic and ad tech based marketing through to developing social media and content strategy. Got it. Your background is you come from, well, you've got quite a a wide remit in digital, not digital, but media generally. I mean, you worked for OMD, you worked for MNC Saatchi, which is I suppose quite a traditional creative agency, isn't it? I suppose it's yeah, that's that sort right. of span out yeah. of the main Saatchi and Saatchi, isn't it, when they sold that off or they moved on? Yeah, And correct. you also worked for Fairfax yeah. in Australia. Yeah, so you've yeah. covered so, quite a bit, right? Yeah, and actually I made a conscious decision some years ago to, to work across the marketing ecosystem so that I could understand all elements of it really. And, and so, yeah, I've worked on the publisher side on the digital publisher side, so for Fairfax and for News Corp as well in Australia uh, and for the Tom Group in China and also across creative agencies and media agencies around Asia too. So um, always in strategy and marketing and generally with a focus on digital. Right. And you've been in that since, well, I mean, uh, can I say how long you've been in digital or media? <laughs> yes, 20 years. 20 years, okay. <laughs> a long time. It is, Since it is. before the first tech bubble. Right, Actually, right. I joined Fairfax Digital right before the first tech bubble. Well, I saw uh, that in 1999. I mean, yeah, what yeah. was digital back then? It was like, you know, AOL CDs through the post and stuff, wasn't yeah, it? Or yeah, Netscape yeah, Navigator. Think- Asia Tech Podcast. 
Find out more at atp.show. Google wasn't even around. I remember one of the developers at Fairfax actually told me about this fabulous new Google thing. Right. Uh, <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, it was it was basically uh, news websites putting putting the news that we were getting from the papers onto the websites and then uh, selling banner advertising around right, it. Right, right, right. A lot of it was like really bro- early days. brochureware back then, wasn't it? Sort of, you Absolutely. Know, stick our yep. brochures onto the websites. Yeah. You know, that's how yep. kind of it was in the early days, wasn't it? I mean, I was surprised that there was a digital agency back in 99, but there you go. Oh, well, no, I was working on the, on the media side. Oh. I was working for the publisher. Right, I got gotcha. you. Within Fairfax. Within Fairfax, that's right. 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 Yeah. It, it must have been quite a challenge. I mean, some of the digital, I mean, some of the media agencies and publishers that you work for just getting the whole digital thing it's not as mm-hmm. easy as it sounds is it? i mean obviously when you look at it and look at how it's grown people understand that that's now a, a major part of any media entity yeah but back then it was yeah. quite different wasn't it i mean it was always like a fight to try and get this recognized absolutely you know and that was back when newspapers you know still had incredibly strong classifieds businesses it is the, the rivers of gold, the, the revenue that came through the, the real estate and recruitment businesses and, the, right. and the, the car advertising businesses, you know, selling all the classified advertising. Uh, you know, of course, then that's all moved online and, and you know, that was, that was happening when I was at Fairfax Digital. And so there was definitely a focus on, on trying to move those businesses into, into the digital space, seeing what was coming. Uh, and, you know, some successes, some failures, uh, but, uh, you know, th- Definitely an interesting experience to go through as well. You know, working in a media organisation where uh, where the print journalists and the, the print business uh, had all of the control, and we were we were definitely the the small outside outsiders to begin with the, mm. the digital business. But then, you know, over time, increasingly got a, a greater share of the the attention. There was always that sort of you know that stereotype of the digital team, wasn't it? That they would be coming in on skateboards while everybody yeah. else is in. Suits and stuff like that. I mean, I, I mean, I've worked in London, and obviously, there's a whole, you know, raft of agencies there, and that was all happening back then. Yeah, it was a real fight as well. I mean, my my background was in telecoms, and I was going into telecoms companies in a similar way, and agencies as well. And OMD was one of my clients, right? And, and right. talking about young people and mobile phones, and it was quite tough because a lot of their clients didn't get it, probably in the same way they didn't get digital back then. It was all sort of seen as with a little bit of suspicion, especially for the older guys as well. So I think you have to mm. want to, I'm not sure if the word, you know, enjoy a scrap is, is appropriate, but you have to kind of want to kind of create change in these large organizations. It's not for everybody that kind of role, is it? No, no, yeah. And, you know, it was interesting too because then when I worked at Fairfax Digital, actually it was originally, it was called F2 and, you know, they they started pouring money into this entity and we had this fabulous office on the water down at Wharf 7 in Sydney. Mm. And, you know, the, the old journalists uh, were still up in the, in the, uh, in the old building, uh, you know, kind of crammed in and in a, in an office that had, had been set up for some time and it probably wasn't as nice an environment. And they were looking right. down on this beautiful spot that we all had working the digital business and we weren't even making money at that point. So, I mean, this is, of course, is all, all before everything uh, got quite tight after the, the digital bubble burst. Oh, the envy. But they, they probably yeah. s- decided they were better off because they could smoke in the old offices. You know what I'm saying? 
Yeah, yeah. Already not not at that stage. That was that was a new experience for me after I moved to China. Actually, that was when I first experienced the the smoking in the office. Right, right. Well, I spe- <laughs> same here in Japan, and still in, in some places. So, I mean, that was interesting. You you were in this sort of swanky office with these this very sort of positive, energetic team in Sydney. You know, wonderful place to be. Mm. And then at some point, you decided I'm going to go to China. Yeah. I mean, yeah. That, this is China yeah. in 2003, which is 2003, not, yes. nothing like it is today. So that was a huge risk. So what was the decision process like for you back then? What so happened? actually, I, I'd been working at Fairfax Digital for about three and a half, almost four years, and I, I absolutely loved it. It was a great company to work for. And and I, I, was, I guess I was in my 20s and I was working really hard and, and I just thought, you know, if I'm going to take that opportunity to go and have an, some type of interesting overseas experience, now is the time to do it. Right. And I was looking at a lot of my friends, you know, it's quite typical for Australians to head over to the UK and, you know, we had access to a two-year working visa where you could go over there and ultimately you're supposed to go and work in a pub or, you know, take some type of hospitality type of type of role. And, you know, I could see a lot of my friends going over there and having these you know, they're fun experiences, but not really meaningful from a, uh, you know, any type of interesting experience or, or cultural perspective. And I really wanted something a bit more interesting and mm. meaty. And so I actually, I made the decision quite quickly to to head off to China. I, I guess I'd kind of been toying with it a little bit and then it just became the right time. But because I made that decision quite quickly, I actually ended up in Yunnan province, which is uh, down, you know, in the southwestern part of China, kind of near the border of Myanmar, the top of Thailand and Vietnam. So in really interesting place. But uh, I decided to go there and study Chinese and just wow. give it a go and thought, you know, I'm going to try this out for a few months and see if I like it. And uh, and I loved it. It was mm. an incredible experience. Okay. So let's just sort of step back a little bit. It, it's kind of almost like night and day, isn't it? That you had on the one hand the option to go to the UK like a lot of the Aussies do and the Kiwis do. And as you mm. say, like you'd probably end up in like Earl's Court or Fulham where they exactly. have, they all like are based around there it seems and you would be working in some sort of hospitality role which is very easy and it's a bit sort of like, you know, university type life. But it's not like you then said, well, I'll just have that but a little bit more adventurous. You kind of went the extreme and, not just China, but way out in the sticks in China. What was, the, what was yeah. going on? People must have thought you were nuts. <laughs> yeah, they did actually. And so there were a lot of jokes about, uh, you know, making sure that I was calling to check in to that, you know, that I hadn't been lost somewhere in the Golden right. Triangle. But uh, I mean, to be honest, what happened was I just, I, I knew that I wanted to go to China. And then I, I actually, I, I came for a bit of an exploratory mission to Shanghai where I had some friends living. Right. And I spoke to a number of people and I said to them, you know, if you were going to do your experience living here in China differently, what would you do? And they all said, look, it's really tough to learn Chinese after you come straight to an expat environment like Shanghai or even Beijing at that time, you know. Uh, and and they said, look, if, if we had the chance to do it over, it would be go and travel first, go and experience China first before you come in and you just start working and you get caught up in work right. and then get caught up in that expat life as well. And that, that was I, – I didn't want that. I wanted a proper experience. And so I actually found this place, this uh, this university in a town called Yuxi 
in Yunnan and you know it was it it was cheap and it looked kind of interesting and they talked about it being you know the eternal spring and Yunnan if you've been there it's a very very beautiful part of China and I didn't know any of that I actually didn't know any of that I made the decision quite quickly and I pretty much packed up my backpack and and jumped on a plane and headed over there right well okay so Yunnan I mean I don't really know much about Yunnan I think that Kunming, isn't it? It's probably the, the city that yes. may, people maybe they know if they're in Asia or they know yeah. about China. But what would anybody know about Yunnan outside? Well, does it have sort of a claim to fame? It does. It does actually. There are there are a couple of really beautiful cities in Yunnan, Lijiang and uh, Dali, and also Tiger Leaping Gorge. You might have heard of. Right. It's yeah. kind of on the tourist trail a little bit now, but these you know Lijiang is is an ancient city and it's beautiful really really beautiful i think it might even be heritage listed hmm. and and also if you've ever read that book I, what what is it lost horizon hmm. uh you know which is where the idea of shangri-la came from and you know this this place where there was a it's a fiction book obviously but uh, you know plane crashed and and these guys ended up getting taken into this this kingdom and that was you know th- this book was supposed to be based on an area uh, called Shangri-La. Right. Uh, I think it's Zhongdian maybe, up, up in the mountains in Yunnan province. Right. It's right. really a long way from anywhere. It's, it's a really beautiful but very remote part of the world. Right, yeah. I mean, geographically, you said it's like in the southwest of China, so it's on the mm. border with Myanmar and, I guess, Vietnam as well. Yeah, yeah that's right. And so it, it actually borders multiple countries and right. it also has you know the i'm not even i'm not quite sure if it is a uh, is the himalayas that are actually leading into that uh, right into that part of china as well but uh, but it's certainly you know mountainous territory in some parts and then where i was you know it was it was beautiful and and uh you know very scenic but sort of going further down south as right. you start to head down towards uh thailand and, mm. and vietnam had you done anything like that before in your life? I mean, I know you Aussies are quite adventurous. And just kind of getting <laughs> to the next state is like a, you know, a six-hour road trip in itself. But did you have yeah. that history or was that sort of a first for you? No, no, right. it was a first, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'd, been to, I'd been to the US and, and Turkey, I think. Right, right. Uh, that, that was pretty much about it. They're hardly, you know, like way out in the sticks in Yunnan province. I mean, th- those no. are, you know. You yeah. could probably be anywhere in the world. You wouldn't notice as much of a difference, right? Because they're so yeah. comfortable, those as tourist locations. So yeah, you yeah. you chose Yunnan and you, you didn't just choose the, the main capital city, but you found a city outside of that, right? So That's right, yeah. You yeah. deliberately so, were trying to take it to, you know, like you said, you people were saying to you, you know, you've got to put yourself out there, out of the comfort zone, because that's where you're going to learn Chinese. Was that sort of consciously yes. motivating you to go to these sort of extreme choices? Absolutely. I, I think, you know, definitely there was that conscious part of throwing myself into an environment where I could learn the language more quickly. Right. But there was also, uh, I would say, looking back now, an element of recklessness through which, you know, I, right. I, I don't think I thought it through that fully. Uh, but, you know, I wanted an adventure and, mm. and, and that's what I got. And I must admit when, you know, then I, I booked my flight and, you know, you, so I had to fly through Shanghai to, to then take another three and a half, four hour flight down to Yunnan. And I got off the plane in Kunming. And, you know, this is pretty early days. This was uh, beginning of 2003. 
And I, I got off the plane and the people who were supposed to pick me up didn't arrive. <laughs> and they, they, they did end up arriving about an hour later. So right. it was fine. But in that hour, I actually sat on my backpack in this airport where, you know, there's no one there who can speak English at, at this time. Yeah. And I really did think, oh, God, what have I just done? Right. Yeah, <laughs> you know, yeah. Because I think I knew about five Chinese words at that point. I'd done, I'd done a, a short language course before I left Sydney. Uh, but, yeah, it certainly wasn't enough to, to fix that situation. <laughs> right. What was it like in those early days? Was I mean, you're, uh, for the listeners that haven't seen you, you're blonde. So you're yeah. obviously yeah. standing out straight away. Yeah. Yeah. What was the intention tall, like? And, okay, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, you know, it it was – Yunnan was really rural then and uh, there certainly weren't that many foreigners around and particularly as then, you know, so the, the school, they did come to pick me up and I went down to this – you know, it was a teacher's college and it's at university now and it was known for – and I didn't know any of this until I – you know, after I got there. It was known for bringing in uh, students who were from families from – really rural areas across right. across the province and teaching them to become teachers so they could go back to where they were from and, and educate students in their local towns or villages. So it was a very, very interesting environment, you know, as mind you, you know, uh, quite, quite a small place but still big, uh, you know, small in terms of China but bit, quite big to me, you know, mm. that probably had about 50,000 people maybe in the town. Uh, but... Uh, yeah, so actually it was a really interesting place as well because it was where Hong Ta cigarettes were made and nice. there was a factory there that made this really famous brand of cigarettes. And so actually while being a small town, it was quite cashed up. And so they had, uh, you know, some really nice facilities and, you know, it was, it was a really interesting place. But, yeah, oh. certainly, you know, there were probably about 15 foreigners living the entire place uh, and, and look, maybe I've got those numbers wrong. I don't think it was as large as fifty thousand. Actually, it was it was was quite a bit smaller than that. But but you know, back then certainly, mm. I definitely stood out. And you know, I used to joke to my my parents when when I managed to get them on the phone, uh, which was really difficult at that stage to mm. to be able to communicate. Uh, and I, I used to joke that I'd walk down the street, and you know, people would follow me, and I'd say it was like having the fame without the money. Yeah. But that I think that that's I mean in these places that's true though isn't it and it's not sort of intimidating but it's just a real oh, curiosity isn't it absolutely yeah and in fact I ended up developing some really lovely friendships with with some local Chinese who I I just don't think that would have happened yeah. if I'd gone straight to an expat sort of environment like Shanghai or or Beijing. Yeah. So it really was an incredible experience, and you know, God, from meeting the local gangster to, uh, uh, you know, um, meeting some of the local police, it was you know it was really bad because <laughs> I was like this this foreigner right. in town, and and you know, and and they all asked the same question: What are you doing here? You know, yeah. what are yeah, you yeah. doing? Yeah. How did they react when you told them? Well, they just, they didn't understand, you know, and I think, well, because I was sort of in my uh, mid to late twenties as well. And I think at that stage, it was still very much, well, where's your, you know, where's your husband? You know, yeah. like, are you having children? You know, and yeah. so, 
you know, I'd kind of explain that I was on this adventure. And I mean, it was great fun. It was incredible. And it also meant that I got to really have proper conversations with some, with yeah. some people who I, you know, just never would have thought I'd be able to have these interesting conversations with about what it was really like to live in China at that time and what was important to local Chinese in, you know, in an environment like that. It was incredible. So who is this local gangster guy? Oh, you know what? Actually, um, one of the – so there were only sort of, as I said, about 15 foreigners in the whole town and, and 10 of them were at this university that I was at. And one of the guys was actually uh, an Englishman who uh, was a, a really good soccer player. And, and so he used to teach some of the kids and he was a black Englishman, you know. And so, again, very, very rare in this mm. part of the world. Uh, so the two of us sort of, you know, um, and his girlfriend, we used to hang out quite a bit. And he'd befriended this local gangster who, uh, you know, was, I don't know, the man. And there was one nightclub in right. town. We used to go there and he'd just buy us yeah. know, cases of beer effectively. Right. <laughs> just to be able to hang out and chat. I think, you know, we were kind of the, the anomalies. So they... Yeah, yeah, exactly. It was yeah, fun. Yeah, I, I think, you know, this is all sort of part and parcel of that experience, isn't it? It's that, you know, you chose that yeah. experience. So it's not always positive. There are some rough edges to it as well. Oh, absolutely. But, you yeah. know, that, that I, I think otherwise you have the sanitized version. Like you mentioned earlier on about Shanghai as an example. And Shanghai, I love Shanghai as a city. But you could easily fall into that expat bubble. Can't you? Mm. That, that's the sort of was that sort of always your worry or fear that you could end up going to China and come out of it not speaking any Chinese and only hanging yes. around with people like yourself because that, that actually does happen, doesn't it? And surprisingly enough, absolutely, yeah, 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 it really does. And yeah, that was definitely something that I, you know, I didn't want to go to, I didn't want to go all of that way. I didn't want to leave a great job and a great life yeah. in Sydney to go somewhere and just end up in a foreign city but doing kind of what I was doing at home. Mm. So, you know, I really made that conscious decision to to do something a bit different. And I'm glad that I did because it just meant that the experience that I had, I ended up, you know, after Yunnan, I moved to Shanghai. I decided, oh, look, I, I love China. I want to stay here. This is, you know, both from a, you know, a life experience perspective as well as a, you know, opening business opportunities perspective. I thought this is the place to be. I'm definitely right. staying here. So I moved to Shanghai to see if I could find a role and I managed to find a, a great job and, you know, I just fell in love with the place. Mm. Uh, and, and, you know, I ended up staying for five years. But it was interesting because then I also I met my boyfriend there and uh, he was from Sydney as well and he didn't speak any Chinese. And while my Chinese wasn't great, it was certainly enough to, to allow me to have conversations with people that meant that my experience was far richer than the experience mm. that he was having, for instance. And it just, it made for, you know, a, a very different few years. And ultimately is, you know, once we, once we got to the end of it, it was one of the reasons we decided to leave was, right. uh, he was, he was sort of done with it because he wasn't having the same type of experience that I was having then. What is it that happens to people when they go to Asia, particularly, and and they they don't it doesn't work out for them because it does happen, mm. and you know what do you think they they get wrong? Is it sort of like does it happen in the early days? Does it happen before they go? Do they have the wrong expectations? Because I think it, it's not for everybody, is it, to move no. to Asia and to try and have a go? Yeah, but yeah. I think it's important look, that they they're sort of the right person to do that. I think it's a combination of a couple of things. I think you know there are definitely still I can see. Uh, 
you know, and I'm not talking about my my boyfriend here at this stage. I'm just talking about I've seen a range of people, yeah. you know, who come in, Westerners come to Asia and and still come with an attitude of, uh, you know, a, a sense of superiority, which is just inappropriate and mm. and uh, and think that they're going to be coming in and, you know, uh, I don't know, living this kind, kind of expat life. And mm. and so I think that definitely can impact the experience, obviously. Yeah. Uh, but also I think, you know, it is it is very, very different working in markets that, you know, like China is very different now. But when I was there, it was absolutely still developing and new and everything was a little bit grey, you know. It was, it was not clear in your role how you could get things done and and how you got the most from people and how you worked with your team. You know, it was all very, very new and the way that we were working together, you know, it was all it was all really unclear. And and I think, you know, if you're if you prefer working in an environment where you need that structure and, you know, old connections and uh, you know, just a, a I don't know, a clearer way of doing things, then mm. you're really going to struggle in in these markets. Those people who come in with an attitude of just giving things a go and and are, you know, willing to try things and have things fail as well, you know, that that's who thrives. Mm. Yeah, um, th- there's a lot of parallels, isn't there, between the startup world and travel. And I, I see it a lot that, Absolutely. you know, as yep. travel as opposed to being a tourist. I suppose the tourist is like the, you know, the, the salaried life where everything's laid out for you on the tour bus, so to speak. You have yeah. the itinerary, but in travel, like especially the kind of travel that you've, you know, been mm. taking part in is, is in a way like being a startup founder, isn't it? It's like you don't have a map. You've yeah. got a rough idea of yeah. a destination and, you know, a lot of things are going to not work out to plan and it's not going to go in a straight line. And it's just whether or not you can cope with that flexibility. And like you said, even mm. in Shanghai where things weren't mapped out and I guess to some people that may be a little bit, unnerving but to others like yourself that's an opportunity to thrive because i'm sure you would have seen opportunities that wouldn't have presented themselves back in sydney right because yeah. there were people getting yeah. jobs that they would never have got in sydney because there's a, a kind of a, that mobility in the chaos isn't there that you know absolutely whether that's absolutely. sort of a, a example being is on the show on ashley's show recently philip jolie is a, a french actor in china who's mm. making it big in chinese movies you never would have thought it, maybe he's going to be much more successful in China than he would be in France because mm. you have that opportunity. I don't know. I mean, do, do you feel like you kind of re- reinvent yourself? You leave the baggage? or I mean, why does that happen, do you think? Oh, absolutely. I think, I, I think that's the case. I think, I think it's because you are you're just, I don't know, it, it's almost like there's daily there you're being faced with things which you have never been challenged with or wouldn't be challenged with at home. And I think that's really healthy for the mind. You know, Mm. it means that you're constantly evolving and therefore needing to come up with new ways of doing things and developing new ideas and different approaches. And so, uh, you know, it just means that you're, you're just far more supple, I think, and, and, you know, nimble and able to, to approach things in different ways. Yeah. Uh, yeah. But I think also, you know, I, I think as you, you know, for anyone sort of coming into Asia then too, I think, uh, you know, coming in with preconceived notions of how things are going to be is, is, uh, is definitely a trap. And, you know, I, I definitely experienced that. And even after living in Yunnan for a few months, you know, I came in with a certain 
uh, way of, you know, when I came into working in Shanghai, I thought, okay, well, I'm going to bring what the best of what I know from Australia and I'm going to apply it here mm. and that's going to work really well. And Did it? And then, no, no <laughs> it didn't at all. I had a nightmare. Well, what do you mean by that? What do you mean oh. the best of what I, you know, like? You know what? I just I because I'd been used to working in this in this big professional, well-oiled machine of mm. you know Fairfax, Fairfax Digital, and it was a very old media company, and then the digital business you know just had had money to work with and and attracted really great people, and every you, you, it was a known quantity. Like while we were doing new and interesting things, we still kind of had an idea of what we were doing, and then I came into a small media business. In Shanghai, and you know, media in China anyway has its own complexities uh, because you're you, you're working so closely with uh, with government organisations to ensure that you know what you're doing is uh, is you know meets the standards that they're looking for. Uh, but then also, you know, I came in with how look, I ran a team in Australia, and you know, I thought, okay, well, this is I'm going to apply the way I work with my team in Australia to this team in China, and. And, you know, I had some horrific experiences in my first year because I came in and, I don't know, I guess, you know, to admit, I, I sort of threw my weight around a little bit and right. and I was asked to do something when I first arrived, which I always regret in that, you know, my, uh, it wasn't my, my, it wasn't the CEO of the company who was actually my boss, but another senior member of the team who was running the Shanghai office had said to me, oh, look, you've got to get rid of this guy and your team as soon as you start. And, you know, I listened to him and I came in and I, and I fired this guy and what I didn't realize at that point was just how important the team is, you know, mm. and, and in China, and I said there's another Asian markets as well, you know, it's not so much about the individual, it's about uh, the individual as a role in the team. And, you know, it's a much more collectivist way of viewing decisions. And, mm. and this guy, while he wasn't effective at his job, he played a role in the team and keeping the team together and working well. And, and, and so I came in and fired him and I just had this horrendous experience after that because I didn't realize the knock-on effect of then how others viewed me in the in the broader team yeah and I learned, I learned a couple of experiences one never ever come in and do something like that listen get someone else mm. to um, get you to do their dirty work for them you mm. know definitely a learning there but also just you know come in and understand that actually the the team is what is really important in uh in a lot of Asian markets, you know, and you need to think about it from that perspective. And so, yeah, very, very big learning. Um, the first year was very tough. And then I, and then I, I just, you know, I, I, I took a lot from that. It was an excellent, excellent learning experience, right, which right. to be honest, really set me up for how I've worked in Asia for the, for the following 10 years. Yeah, know? yeah. In at the deep end. But what a fantastic experience. Let's fast forward a little bit from there because you you had your experience in Shanghai and then obviously now you're in Singapore, but there's there's a a period where you move back to Sydney, right? So tell us a little bit about that and then why you decided yes. to come back to Singapore because I think that's the interesting part as to, you know, you're back, you know, why? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, well, yeah, I, I moved back to Sydney for a few years and uh, – and I, I I was back there for a few years, and actually, to be honest, it was a relationship breakup was kind of the uh, the reason why I thought, you know what? And again, I look, I had a great job. I was working for News Digital at that time in Sydney, and again in in marketing, I was heading up the marketing for the digital business and and doing some really interesting work. But 
I wasn't ready to, ready to go back to Australia and the only reason I had was with this guy and then when that didn't work out I just thought you know what I'm I really feel like I'm missing out on something by not being in Asia through what is a really interesting growth period and so I, I packed up and uh, actually I was working at News Corp and then I was working at MSC Saatchi on the creative agency and and that's when I just decided you know what now is now is the time uh, so I packed up and I came to Singapore I actually I looked around and I thought I'm not going to go back to China. It's going to be too difficult to replicate what was an incredible experience. Mm. So I'm going to try somewhere new. And I looked at Hong Kong and Singapore and I, I met with a number of companies in both of those markets and I just decided Singapore was really setting itself up beautifully as the technology and uh, creative and advertising hub for the region. Yeah. And so this is where all the opportunities were. So I came here. I, I Honestly, I hit the ground running. I did about... 60 interviews and coffees in about six weeks mm -hmm. and it was incredible you know because I just I learned everything I needed to know about the market and the regional focus from here and you know what was happening across Southeast Asia just by meeting and all of these different people and, and finding out sort of what was going on so it was it was an incredible experience you know it was tough because I was looking for a, for a great role but at the same time it was excellent market research mm. Yeah, well, I want to know about that because I want to ask you a question. It might be a bit unfair, so I think I'm going to ask it. So put you on the spot. <laughs> you came yeah. from Sydney to Singapore. I think Sydney and Singapore are two fantastic cities. Absolutely love them both. And lifestyle there is very good, but a little bit different. And I don't, obviously, you know, I don't want to trash any city because it's not, not what it's about. I want to sort of know how they're different because you said, what, you know, something was missing. When you're in Sydney, because you know I love Sydney. I love just hanging out, the weather, the people. I love the Australians and the culture and the cafes and all that. What what, what could be missing from that? Oh, it, it's just absolutely that a Sydney is, or, or you know, when you're working in Australia, it's very much about what's happening in Australia. It, it right. is, uh, it's definitely just a focus on that market. And you know, while I was working on some really interesting business and and you know, again, the two companies I worked for while I was back in Sydney. It, it, it was an amazing experience, but it was all very much focused on the domestic market. And right. I think after being exposed to, uh, you know, just such an interesting uh, perspective, living in China and, you know, when I was living in China as well, the, the role that I was working in, it was, it was looking across the region. And, you know, I could just see all of these interesting markets developing and, and great stories and just, you know, lots of interesting business being developed as well. Mm. And I thought I'm missing out of that on that by being in Sydney. So I wanted to come back up here and, and I knew at some stage I wanted to start my own business. But at that, at that time, I still wasn't totally clear on what that was going to be. So I thought, yeah, I really, I want the opportunity to work in a regional role. And, and so that was when I, I thought, yeah, I'll come up here and and I got the job at OMD, mm. uh, which was fantastic because then that was working across the entire region from China and Korea through to India and Thailand. Okay. So you, you came back to Singapore. You got in with OMD, which gave you mm. fantastic access across Asia. Inside of you, you had this thing where you wanted to start your own business as well. So that was, mm. that, that was growing. What happened? What was the sort of point at which you decided, right, I'm going to go and do this now. I'm going to go and do it alone. I'm going to branch out. So when I was at OMD, I was 
digital strategy lead for the regional and global accounts uh, based out of Singapore, working across the region you know, um, and, and on some global work too. And I was presenting all of this digital strategy work to people uh, you know, all around the place and, and what I could see was that there was a real gap in understanding and so I was presenting work which sometimes was missing or really difficult to sell in because either the the marketing director or the CMO at a regional level or at a local market level just wasn't necessarily uh, making the connect as to what it was going to do for their business because there was a gap in understanding about what digital could do and uh, and how to effectively implement it. Or the regional team got it and they didn't control the budgets and we needed to sell it in a local market level and that's where we kind of hit some walls. So what I ended up doing as a part of my role was then just doing more and more training and education as a part of the strategy selling process. And I thought, you know, there's a real opportunity here. And actually, this is really what I'm interested in, both the, the strategy development, but then helping the teams to get the skills to be able to then uh, make decisions about it and implement the work. And I thought, yeah, this is this is great. You know, I'd, I'd kept notebooks for years, to be honest, writing down all of these different ideas about the different types of businesses that I could do. You know, my, my friends in Sydney used to joke and uh, say that I was like Russell Crowe in A Beautiful Mind because I'd have post-it notes up <laughs> all, over my, all over my wall with all these different business ideas, trying to figure out, okay, what is it? What What's the right thing for me to do? And then finally, you know, when I was in this job, I just realized this is it. This is you know, this is something that I can that I that I can do really well. I know the space really well, and it actually, you know, it kind of aligns with my values. And and that was the bit that I started, you know, because I I was reading all of this different material about what you should do when you're starting a business, and you know, what's the what's the right way to get started. And I realized right from the beginning, I need to have that why. You know, I need needed to have the reason for why we were doing this. And ultimately, you know, when I left OMD and set this this business up. I realized I wanted to be able to do something that was actually helping people grow. And, you know, particularly because I feel like I just made a great decision early on to focus on digital and get into this field that then, you know, opened up all these different opportunities for me. And, you know, I could see some people who hadn't made those decisions, they were kind of being left behind. And I wanted to make sure that I was able to help bring others on that journey. Mm. So uh, it all became quite clear. Uh yeah, over, over that period. And then, you know, look, I was really lucky because I had such a great relationship with OMD team as well that, you know, I, I then resigned and kind of extended uh, a little bit longer than I thought because, it, you know, it was great because, uh, you know, they needed someone to, to do the work, but it was great for me because then I could also continue to set things up because what I realised was I needed to be able to hit the ground running day one and that was how it ended up that I, I, I left on November the 15th and I basically had my first client uh, on the 18th. Yeah, that, that's an ideal yeah. startup situation, isn't it? Where you, Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. And that de-risks it. And there's no reason why it has to be hard in that sense that, you know, you can have a oh. good relationship with your past employer. It's not like F you and I'm gone. In many cases, the best situation is where you, you just have a smooth transition. It's like, especially you know, where you're Absolutely. in a consultancy and agencies, that seems to be a good way to work because they don't want to lose your relationships as well and your network, which is important to them. Absolutely. And you know what, look, I, I would say that is just, 
that has been so, so important to me because I've had an ongoing relationship with Omnicom team for the last two and a half years now, and I still do work with them uh, across different markets. And that has just been so, so valuable for me. And, you know, it's it, it's kind of nice too to feel like, a, you know, I'm still in some ways a little yeah. bit part of uh, an extended family in a way. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, I definitely recommend that. Keep keep great relationships, and, and you know, I mean, the thing is, anyway, Asia's, you know, it might be big, but it's actually small when you're working in this field, and so you're going to see uh, everyone around anyway. So, mm. so go back to those notes notebooks that you keep. I'm wondering if you still keep them and, and in them. I'd, yeah. Do, do I'd you do. have any mention of a podcast? Yeah. <laughs> uh, you know what. I'm sure there, there are a ton of mentions of that. So I think I mentioned to you also as well, Graham. You know, one of my favourite things is I um, I don't mind a glass of red wine, and then I'll get onto GoDaddy.com and just start buying up <laughs> some some URLs uh, as I start to think about business ideas. Yeah. And I'm sure there are a couple of podcasts in there, definitely. Right. Yeah. Yep. Exactly. So, I mean, what we're bringing this round to is, is talking about your podcast and what it is that you. Uh, yeah. sort of yeah. going to share with the world. So let, let's talk about that. Obviously, I know you talked about the domain names. That's another story because it's not 100% yeah. set yet. Maybe we can put that out to a vote, but there's a story there as well. Yeah. But maybe we could start there. You've got, we've had a bit of a back and forth about this, about names for the podcast. I'm, I'm sort of one of these people that likes a bit of alliteration in a name. Maybe it's yeah. a bit of a, yeah. an OCD side of me, but I think that it's got to roll off the tongue, hasn't it? But we, we kind of had it a does, few options yeah. out there. Do you want to share what the options were? I mean, the ones yeah, that you're... Yeah, sure, sure. So it started out as Founders in Asia and that's, you know, it does what it says on the well, tin. exactly. You know, the <laughs> the whole point of this is, you know, that I came up with this idea of uh, of interviewing all of these interesting people that I that I am so fortunate to meet in my daily life. You know, I... I get to work with a lot of interesting business founders from big businesses and, and new startups, and I just am fascinated by their story. You know, how did they how did they come up with their idea? How did they get to where they are? You know, whether they're from uh, a market in Asia or they're from somewhere else and they've moved here. You know, I, I know all of these interesting people who have done these incredible things, and I know as well how tough it is to start a new business and. And I'm fascinated in how they've stuck with it and and the challenges they've faced and the adversities and how they've overcome those. So that's I'm really interested in hearing about the stories of entrepreneurs from uh, both the business perspective as well as the the human side of it. Mm. So you know that so I thought, God, I'm meeting all these interesting founders in Asia. So there you go. There's the there's the name founders in Asia, and of course over a glass of red wine, I bought that domain name. But yeah. uh, but then since then, you know, you and I have been talking, we've come up with a few others. So the other options are Founders Unplugged, uh, Beyond Bootstraps. So, you know, we're actually telling the stories of people who have started out and then, you know, how have they scaled up? How have they looked to uh, scale? You know, what's been their vision and how have they worked mm. towards that? Mm. So those, those are the options on the table at the moment. Right. We should give them mm. the, the phone lines to vote. Yeah, yeah. A, B, or C. I think, you know, the, the, uh, now that I hear it back, Founders in Asia is actually, when I hear it, especially with the context of our conversation, your story today, mm. you know, that, that resonates with me 
I'm flip-flopping on a daily basis. It's always yeah. hard to because because I guess the problem is is that you, you feel that once you've started, you're committed, aren't you? Because you tell everybody that's mm. the name and so on. Yeah. But yeah. I, I guess at the end of the day, it doesn't matter too much because it's yeah. really about you and the people that you talk to and their stories and so on. Mm. But I think and, and and that's the thing is that you know this this podcast is definitely about people who are living and working in Asia. So yeah. that is the important part for me is exactly. that. You know whether uh, whether they've been uh, born and grew up in Singapore or whether they are from uh, Australia and they've moved to China. You know how have they developed their idea and what have they found? Uh, you know what it's like to set up a business in the market they're operating in or expanding mm. to other markets across the region. It's absolutely you know I want this to be about uh, the interesting people who are looking at you know how do we build businesses in markets across Asia. And, you know, what are the what are the nuances of the different markets? And, you know, because I think I think that would be really interesting to people as well, because oftentimes there's a there's kind of an expectation that particularly with Southeast Asia, for instance, that all markets are the same, which, you know, when yeah. you live in here, they're absolutely not. They are all completely different and they all have really interesting opportunities and really tough challenges in their own ways. And that's, you know, I want to dig into those stories from the business perspective but then also, you know, hear people's journeys and, you know, how they've gone about uh, defining the vision and setting up their teams and finding talent and then, you know, managing that talent and building the business. Yeah, uh, it's exciting. And I think as well, I mean, it may sound obvious like why it should be in Asia. Well, because this is the platform Asia Tech podcast. But, you know, I think that given what we talked about today and your, your journey as well, it sounds like the reason it needs to be about Asia is because it's about the journey, isn't it? It's about the adventure, yep. everything that we started talking about, like when you moved to Yunnan and you, mm. know, you moved back to Sydney and then you came back because you missed that adventure, I guess, right? Yep. So, yep. you know, that's why it needs to be Asia because this is the frontier market, isn't it? And there's so much adventure Absolutely. out there really to be had. Yeah, yeah. And I think, you know, just I don't think I mentioned this before, but, you know, I think one of the things that really – shocked and surprised me when I moved to China was I had this preconceived notion of what it was going to be like because it was a communist country that yeah. I was moving to. And I thought, you know, I had this idea about how, how people would work and how what they were going to be like. And then I got there and I found the most entrepreneurial people I'd ever met. And, you know, everyone was doing something to to get ahead. And coming up with interesting ways to work and sideline businesses. And, you know, like even before the whole startup thing really got attention over the last few years, you know, this was just a way of living and working as, as a normal part of life in China. Mm. That fascinated me. And then I got to understand that actually that was quite common across other parts of Asia as well. You know, this drive, this energy, this, you know, looking for opportunities and looking for a better life for people and their families, you know, that that's fascinating to me. Yeah, I love that. And it's amazing to be surrounded by those people. It has an effect mm. on you, right? Yeah, yeah. You're surrounded by people who are, are on the make, effectively. Everybody's on the make in Asia. Mm. I love that everybody's hustling and, you know, there's again, there's rough edges to that, but it's yeah. great to be surrounded yeah. by people. I guess, you know, you, you, we are privileged to be in a generation in a time where they haven't really known comfort like they have mm. in, I should say, Western countries, right? Yeah, and that, that creates yeah. an energy which really rubs off on you, right? And I think that's yeah, what people get absolutely. when they come here, isn't it? Maybe that's Definitely. what we miss when we go back 
Mm. You know, that vibe, yeah. you know, that's really what it's about is that people are all, you know, you look at the surveys as well. I mean, th- there's a whole bunch of surveys done by Western companies, people like YouGov and Gallup and so mm. on. And they've, they've surveyed, you know, countries in Asia and they said, you know, how optimistic are you in, in those terms, more or less, you know, paraphrase mm. it. And it, at the top of those rankings, it's always Asian countries and Southeast Asian countries as well, in particular, rank quite high. You know, everybody's optimistic for the future. Mm. So um, it's great to be surrounded yep. by that. So we're, lo- we're looking forward to yep. those stories that yep. you're going to share. So, and as well, right. Jody, by the way, you know, mm. when you step up and start doing this, then I have to warn you that you will have to take responsibility for planting the seeds of change in people's heads. Because people are going to listen to that and think, wow, I'm going to move now. I'm going to pack my bags. <laughs> people will be buying plane tickets listening to your podcast. <laughs> Do you feel a sense of moral obligation now? Oh, look, I think there will definitely be a sense of excitement, but, you know, I'm sure we will also talk about the challenges and, uh, yeah, you know, hopefully we can give people some direction on how to get around some of those challenges. But, uh, yeah, I guess that there'll be a sense <laughs> of moral obligation. In a good way, obviously. Yeah. But, you know, look, I mean, to be really honest, I'm pumped. I love it. I love living here. I love working across this yeah. region. I've made some incredible friends and, you know, what I also love is that a lot of the founders that I know and, you know, I can see people setting up businesses who are, who are actually doing something that they think is really going to make a contribution and also taking some lessons learned from how things may have, got, you know, maybe there were some things that were got wrong in the West and looking at how we can avoid some of that yeah. in this part of the world as we go forward. You know, that's, that's really exciting to me. You've been listening to Asia Tech Podcast. Find out more at ATP.show.